0: Welcome to the Life Athletes Podcast, where those who succeed in the gymnasium of life share their stories, experiences, and strategies for personal growth and development. Remember, it's never a good time to take a vacation on your development. So let's start now with your host, Alejandro.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Life Athletes Podcast. My name is Alejandro. This week, we will continue with part two of of the conversation I had with Craig Wasserman, who is a leadership and management consultant, coach, etc., Had a really great conversation the last time and want to get back into it. Remember, I'm giving away one of his books. So if you want a copy, feel free to reach out to me, lifeathletespod at gmail.com, lifeathletespod at gmail.com. Let me know that you listen to the podcast and you want a copy of the book, and we'll make that happen for you. But I do want to jump back in, and the topic that I want to address is, if you want to aspire to a successful career, having some form of leadership or management experience is typically the pathway. And there are some questions that I believe we should be asking ourselves if we want to take on the role of a manager and leader, and that's where I pick up the conversation with Craig. They should realize
0: that a superstar, somebody who's really good as an employee, they love customers, they enjoy getting ahead of the game, they're quick on their feet as to where a problems coming up and how they can get in and to, uh, divert it before it becomes a problem. They are outstanding. And management invariably looks toward those people and say, we want to make you a manager. And they fall into what we refer to as the superstar syndrome. They have five people working for them and they do everybody's work. They take all the glory. They do all the hard parts. They do all the good parts. They just see things so well. So the conversation people need to have as they move up into an an organization is, I'm offering you this job and I'm attracted to you to be a manager because you do it so well. But your job is not now to do it Five times more. Your job now is to teach them what came naturally to you, and let me tell you, it is going to be amazingly frustrating. They don't have all of your instincts. They don't have all of your drive. They don't have all of your enthusiasm. They don't. Get, they aren't likely to be rewarded by the actions that just drove you to do more and more. This is you're now the coach, and you have to. Talk to them and coach them and model for them. I'm going to do this when I'm going to handle this conversation with the client. And your job is to tell me five things that I did that you really think made a difference. And which of those five things you had no idea that I'm going to hold you accountable for doing. And teach them to be like you. And to notice that they have some attributes might even be better than you. They're more patient, they're more articulate, they write better, whatever. So the job of a manager is closer to a job of a parent. Job of a manager is to, the goal of a manager is to to be pleased by the sunlight, by the reaction of what people have of your employees. I really liked working with Donna. She's outstanding. And I sit back and say, boy, when I started with Donna, she was a pain in the butt. But she's learned. And I turn to him and I say, Yes, she's come a long way, and I'm very proud of her. And you can feel confident that she's taking good care of you. And the and some young managers have to realize that is the success of your job. We often say the most important person in the company is the customer. And I say most important person in the in the company is the employee, because if they, your employee, if you teach them how to deal with the customers, if you teach them how much we care for them, how responsive we want to be, or how important it is to work with your colleagues, they will be a reflection of you, and they will be a reflection of the company, and the employee, and the customers will get taken care of, because you've done such a good job teaching them, so it's not just one person going around being out, being the superstar. And many managers get stuck in the superstar syndrome. They're doing everything themselves and they get applauded for doing it for about a year and a half until they're ready to shoot themselves in the head. They're exhausted. Why can't I find somebody who's good enough to do this job? My answer is you probably have them right in front of them. Why can't can't you find the time to teach them how to be good? Reward them, show them, let them suffer, let them struggle, let them succeed.
1: There's a lot of information out there about giving people feedback, and a lot of the headlines and a lot of the training and workshops are around having those difficult conversations, giving the, the difficult or the constructive feedback. Craig, however, mentions that ensuring that you are identifying moments of recognition and being strategic about those moments is actually more important. So let's hear him share more about that.
0: Your people want to please you. And when they do things well, the small things well, the moments well, called back the employee, the uh, customer, and asked if there was anything else we could work on. Complimented one of their own colleagues because uh, they did a nice job. When there usually is a lot of competition between the colleagues, when you see them, what you want, what when you see them perform in the little ways and big ways that you want, and you compliment them, it creates. An opportunity for you somewhere down the road, if they do muck up, that you can turn to them and say, that wasn't like you right now, and I know you're going to recover, but I just want to let you know, don't do that again. Here's what I saw you do. This is not acceptable, and you're better than that, and we're better than that. They will be much more inclined to hear that from you, knowing that you're willing on those those other opportunities to compliment you. So in some ways, you're conniving by, by, uh, <laughs> by uh, complimenting. But that's our job. My job is to maintain this relationship, not just its good times, but also its boring times, and also its excruciatingly difficult times. That's my job. That's what I'm responsible for. The best boss I ever had, when I did things well, he uh, would have a tight-lipped smile, cross his arms, and nod his head. That was it, and my heart would soar. And when I did poorly, he explained the problem. He he saw, here's the situation. Is that really what you wanted to achieve? I go, no, no, I really didn't. I said, I know you didn't, but he'd say. And he was a good boss, and I, I trusted him. To this day, he's 87 years old, I'm still in touch with him. He's meant a lot to me in my life. And managers mean a lot in their employees' lives.
1: Research shows that most managers don't give enough feedback and that employees actually want more of it. And I wanted to ask Craig, based on his experience, why does this happen?
0: I think one of the reasons is, um, is managers don't feel compliments are that worthy. They feel as if they are coming across transparent, you know, in a transparent way of, what, you just go to management class? Is this what they just taught you? And I want to assure everybody they will be teased about that. Did you learn this in management class? And my response is, yes, I did. How's it come across? But as the weeks go by, they will appreciate it. Make people feel good. They want to please you. I've never met a group of employees get around with each other and say, what can we do to really piss off the boss? It just doesn't occur. They're saying, what do we do to please him? How do we, uh, what, what is he looking for? And if we do do it, does he have enough common sense and courtesy to nod his head with a tight lipped smile and go, Nice job. Thanks. This is really touching. Boy, you guys are three steps ahead of me. That's great. Go back in your office, sit down and go, it's working. Sometimes managers won't give compliments because their boss doesn't give any compliments. My boss throws all, you know, all seven dirty words at me that he can in every sentence he can put together. And my inclination is to yell at my people the same way. It's hard to get a lot of heat and then go out and be uh, sweet to people. So I think that's some of the reasons. I think most often is they just don't realize how much impact they have. They don't realize they're talked about every night at dinner. They don't realize that they're going to ask. The new person's going to say, what's it like working for them? Instead, they say, my door is always open. And we say, hope you're getting a nice breeze. I'm not coming in. <laughs> and, uh, and that's unfortunate. It's, they have to realize these people are just trying to make a living. They want to be good. Some of them think highly of themselves. Some of them think lowly of themselves. Um, you want to look at them all in pretty even-handed fashion, although you'll have your favorites, and let them know you're, they're appreciated. And when you do let them know that they're appreciated, this is the most important thing I'm going to say. Speak in words that they can see. Did a great job today. Thanks a lot. And then employee walks away and says, I wonder what he liked. I like the fact that you uh, brought Alan and Denise together and told them how well they did there, did today. And told them clearly what it was that you appreciated. That was an expert's presentation. That has management all over it. Thanks a lot. Proud of you. Turn around, walk away. You don't have to talk a lot when you're a manager because they're thinking about it all the time. They're re having, they're, they're rerunning the <clears throat> conversation that you had, the words that you said in their minds. And if they were sweet words that made them feel good, They're singing to the radio in the car, and they're having a great time saying those words over and over again. They're going to tell their spouse as (laughs) soon as they hit the door. And if it was something that really hurt them, that they've known that they do poorly, it's going to hurt. And they're going to think about Mm -hmm. it. They're going to say, I'm not going to do that again. Know your impact. Managers invariably underestimate their impact. That's all the things we're talking about
1: here. One thing that we have to come to the realization of is that management and that leadership is hard work and we will make mistakes. Many times the focus is on how well we're crushing it or how this leader did this and did that. But the reality is that there will be moments of failure. So I wanted to hear what do we do with those things or how do we even maximize failure?
0: We're all human. We're all gonna blow it. We all have idiosyncrasies that get in our way. A smart response, a uh, an off-colored joke, a uh, a lapse of, uh, of judgment that uh, causes you to lean one way when you should lean the other. A comment about politics that has no place in the office and you say it and hurt people's feelings. We're all going to muck it up and what managers have to realize because the relationship is their responsibility, because it's an 80-20 relationship, it's not a marriage, your people don't want your friendship, they don't want, they're not even teammates, You're, uh, they want your leadership and you made a mistake and since one of the most important ways of managing people is to model the way you want them to behave, you have to recover from it and some of these acts of recovery are really embarrassing you uh sometimes it's a misunderstanding sometimes it was a missed call um i remember as a young consultant in a company i was very new to them they were trying me out they sent me out to a company out west i came back i'd done my work people said nice things and as i was leaving the president and i turned to him and i said you know when i was out there i heard a lot of uh, concern about union activity and he dismissed me and i thought to myself i'm out of line shut up next time craig you had a good news back you on the back and you irritated him and about two weeks later there's a major union activity out in uh, the midwest it occurred for a month and a half, two months. I was doing other work in the company. I had several companies at all times I was working with. And about when this had died down, I was in the elevator one day, and the elevator walks, opens up, and the president walks in. And I said, uh, he said, hi, Craig. And I said, good morning, sir. And we then stared at the numbers because uh, this was so long ago, we didn't have the entertainment boxes that we have on elevators now. And as we got to my floor, and I was about to get out, he turned to me, he said, you told me about the union activity some months ago. I didn't know a lot about you, and I didn't take you seriously. I was wrong. Keep pitching. And he walked out of the elevator. And I stood there and thought to myself, he's got class. He's good. Oh, I also felt pretty cocky for myself, too, but I was more impressed with him. As a manager, you have to be prepared to recover from have these moments of recovery. You have to be able to say, I'm sorry. I have to say, yesterday in the meeting, I gave Larry credit for what you did, and he got the applause, and I forgot to say your name, and I made a mistake. Because that guy was upset all day long. You have to say, you might have misunderstood me when I said this and did that, but it's not your responsibility. I should have been clearer. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Somebody told me that you're upset because you felt I felt this about you, Let me be real clear. I did, but you've changed my mind. I should have made that clearer to you. The relationship, the success of that relationship is ours, and we should be big enough when it's brought to our attention.
1: Socrates is known to have said that the unexamined life is not worth living, and there's a similar quote in Craig's book. He puts it, we are far better at hiding unflattering baggage from ourselves than from anybody else. Therefore, we need to think about how we look ourselves in the mirror or what systems do we have in place that can give us that type of feedback. In essence, what is a healthy way to deal with those idiosyncrasies, with those imperfections, with those foibles? I asked Craig to share more about that.
0: You know, this is where friends come in. Your friends have to tell you because we don't know it. You know, Craig, you think you're being so attractive by, uh, by telling your stories, but the fact is three other people want to talk and you're talking too long. Only a friend can say that. Craig, you uh, don't realize that um, these people came from that pe- this type of lifestyle and you're saying these things about it and it, was, it, it came across as a dud. So what you do is one, make good friends, and then the other is tell your friends or your colleagues You've got to tell me if I'm off base. You've got to tell me if, if I'm hurting. You have to tell me if I think I'm coming across cool, calm, and collective, but I'm really coming across as a clod and an obnoxious guy. And uh, I will, my feelings will be hurt, believe me, but I'll recover. But you need to tell me. The biggest mistake I ever made in management was a good friend of mine who I was Became a good friend of his. We worked together, we found each other, and we became good friends. And he was making a major change in his company, and we were at a retreat. And uh, the change was very complicated, great organizational change, because he didn't want to hurt anybody else's feelings. And as we were walking out on it uh, one day after one of these long conferences, we were walking back to our rooms, and he said, uh, Is this going to work? And I didn't answer the question. I said we'll make it work but that wasn't the question the question is was this going to work and I should have told him the truth this is going to be a monkey whatever this is going to be a mess the organizational chart looks like a lot like an electrical chart behind a television set I mean this does not hang true I didn't tell him the truth and I've always regretted it because it didn't work and it hurt the company so People are always going to make mistakes. you got two issues here. Get people around you that are going to level with you and tell them it's okay. Model it by leveling with them. And when you make a mistake, uh, you gotta, you got to go, go fess up for it. People will appreciate the candor. I don't agree with what you did, and I don't like the way you did it, but I appreciate you can't come to me and say this to me.
1: One of the last things that I wanted to discuss with Craig was something that he expressed in the book regarding community in the workplace. He indicates that the respectful and civil treatment of employees is just as important as the financial success of the company. And he says that a firm is just not merely an organization set up to deliver goods and services. It is also a human community where we need to have mutual respect and common decency. So I wanted to ask, why is that important and why does he hold that view?
0: One benefit, I think, of thinking that you can have it both ways. You could both, the business of business is profit, you could have that philosophy, and you could also treat people respectfully, is because uh, they'll both, you can have them both together and they'll get you to the same spot. I've been in organizations or counseled and consulted organizations where Your friends had to be fired. Your colleagues had to be let go. They weren't working badly, poorly. They weren't making mistakes. It was just their time to go. We needed new ideas, needed fresh ideas. We needed a different set of skills because they had taken the organization to a certain level and it needed another type of person and quality to take it to the next level. You don't have to be cruel, cruel is just sloppy. Cruel is just not having the, the patience to prepare, to have that internal dialogue. I can go to you and say, I, uh, I, 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 I appreciate all the work that you've done, and I don't think and never wanted you to do it any better because you surpassed my expectations. But it's time for me to make a change. I need somebody in this position that is going to move their people in different ways because of the competition or whatever. I feel uh, uh, badly about this. And professionally, I, uh, I, I know this is going to put a, a hindrance to your career. I will write nice letters of recommendation for you. I will tell you it was more a change in us than a change in you. I know you think you can make this transition, but I haven't seen it. And they're paying me, the stockholders or the owners of this company, to make some hard calls. I know this will hurt our relationship. I hope we can mend it in time. But this is the call I'm making. You don't have to be a, you know, all these words are, I don't want to say on the air, but you don't have to be an idiot. You don't have to be cruel. You don't have to have somebody else do it. I wanted to speak to you because you have given me everything you've had. It's time for me, on behalf of this organization, to put somebody else in this position who's given me everything they have. Well, can you make a position for me? No. It would not be right, and it would, uh, you would not respect the new guy, and it will just be tough, whatever. So I think they could both coexist. I think the guy who is a cutthroat, the guy who is uh, egotistical, um, who doesn't care, um, I don't think – I don't like him. <laughs> I don't think he's a very good man or a woman. Um, I think the job is try to do it with some integrity, with a lot of integrity. You're still going to do it. The fact is you're chicken, and you're afraid to tell him. And, uh, and that is not very respectful. I want my son, my daughter to be more upfront about it. I want my managers to be more upfront about it.
1: Now, a Life Athletes podcast interview would not be complete without, you guessed it, the lightning round. Who is your favorite musical, it could either be your favorite musical artist, group, or musical genre? Simon and Garfunkel. Pizza or sushi? Sushi. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? An introvert. Favorite place that you visited? (laughs) Steamboat Springs, Colorado. That's where you're currently living, right? That's correct. What do you do to
0: relax, Craig? You know, I happen to be lucky enough to be married to a wonderful woman.
1: All right. So spending time with your wife, then is something you do to relax. Great. What is something you are proud of? You know, I'm proud of
0: my children. They're making their way through life real well. Um, And I'm proud that I married that wonderful woman to make that possible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What would you like to be remembered for? being clear. I hope you enjoyed those nuggets from our guest, Craig Wasserman, author of The Invisible Spotlight. That book is available on Amazon, but one of our listeners, one of our lucky listeners will receive a copy of it. Just reach out to me on my social media platforms, or you can email me directly at lifeathletespod at gmail.com thank you so much for listening. If this content is adding value to you, please go to iTunes or go to Stitcher, rate and review us because that helps us to build this community and deliver content on a regular basis. Until next time, friends.